This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, the best independent sports podcast on the planet, is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. Panko Chicken is the home of the best Japanese American chicken tender, and it continues to rack up the awards in Atlanta, winning the 2019 Super Bowl Live Top Sling Vendor Award, multiple best selling tastes at the Taste of Atlanta Awards in 2017 and 2018, and even the best fried chicken award at the 2018 ATL Cluck Fest. is all about connecting cultures, cultivating happiness, one chicken tender at a time. I love Ponko, their family, and I can't thank them enough for their support of this podcast. It it just it means a lot. And um, yeah, so go to their Midtown location, their Tucker location, and all their future locations as they take over Atlanta because they're family. And I love them. And I couldn't be more excited to see more and more locations pop up and all of that um, that goes with it. So go to go to Panko, get some chicken, get some rice, get some beer. There's all kinds of great stuff. Um, whatever you want, Panko Chicken has it. So go do that. Um, also, go to chasethomaspodcast.com. I am uh, I'm writing my ass off there uh, these days. So go do that. Read my stuff. You can get access to all of my previous episodes. You can buy my merch. You can learn more about just why I do what I do and why I believe I'm going to get where I want to go. Um, this is my dream, this, uh, this sports media thing. And um, you were going to see me on ESPN one day or Sports Illustrated or Fox Sports or DAZN or whoever um, because I'm not going to quit. I am, I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep grinding. I'm going to keep punching out episodes, writing articles, and just outworking everyone because I just I just want this more and I believe my product and I believe in where I'm going. Um, we're over 300 episodes strong and this is what I want. Uh, there will be no slowing down. Took a break, but this is uh, this is my jam and this is what I want. This is my passion and uh, yeah. So leave a rating. Leave a review on iTunes. It means a lot. Share my articles on Twitter, Facebook, wherever. Um, and join me as I keep climbing the ladder and all of that because I I just I need your support. So if you like the podcast, keep listening, keep subscribing, tell tell your friends, keep sharing it out, keep reading my work. And uh yeah, so okay. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a Tuesday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am now joined by someone I read every day, Jason Caldwell. Jason, good evening. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How about you? Um. So, as an Auburn fan, I. I'm cautiously optimistic about this season. I love the Bo Nix thing. I went back and forth on the Joey Gatewood thing. How should I feel about Bo Nix right now? Yeah, you know, I think it's one of those things where I, I really believe that, and this is just just me. I think first of all they, they went through and and went from start to finish in the preseason, and I think in the end it came down to productivity. Which guy, when they put him in with the first unit, which guy moved the team better, which guy. Um, you know, got him in scoring position, did those things. And but just for me, and, and when I look at a season and look at football nowadays, I look at in the end, what does it take to play for a championship? 
and you know right now to beat LSU, to beat Georgia, to beat Alabama, which that's three teams you have to beat if you're already going to win a championship. What it what has been shown? It's been shown that you got to be able to throw the football and you got to throw it really well. Clemson's shown that they, that's how that's how they beat Alabama. Um, that's how Alabama's beaten Georgia. Um, you got to be able to throw it. And in the end, I think in the end, when you look at, at Bo Nix, I think his ability to stretch the field and to do those things in a passing game, along with being a runner, and that's the thing that people forget about him is that he can run the football. I think that pushed him over the top, and, and it gives him a little bit more versatility on offense. Why do you think he ultimately beat Joey Gatewood for the job? I, I just think it was, the, in the end, I think it was that. I think it was that productivity and his ability to, to do more in the passing game. Uh, I think that Joey Gatewood's going to have a part and is going to play a part of this season at some point, and it could come Saturday. He could have a you know, he could have a place in the game on Saturday, but I think the ability to to do those things in the passing game and to be able to um, to stretch the field vertically and horizontally in the passing game, I think in the end was probably the biggest difference. When you watch Bo Nix play, who does he remind you of? It's it's funny because uh, we have Stat Tiger at, at, at inside the Auburn Tigers and, and AUTigers.com. He he's been doing it for years and started doing this videos and uh he did a video comparison of, of Bo Nix and Baker Mayfield going back to, to yes watch in high I watched this uh-huh that's the guy that I have likened Bo to for probably the last couple of years um okay not off the field of course on the field though mm-hmm. uh, because both are better athletes than people give them credit for mm-hmm. um, and I think both of those guys can run but I don't you know you, you look up and you go yeah, at the end of the game, you know, there may be a game where, where Bo has 50, 60 yards rushing. There may be other games where it's 15 or 20. But every game, they're going to use their legs to um, to find passing lanes, to extend plays, to do those things. And so that's kind of what I think about when I think about Bo as a guy that can do those things and kind of reminds me a little bit of Baker Mayfield in that um, much better and, and probably much quicker athlete than people give him credit for but a guy that can can throw and uh and throw guys open to do you think he'll have a problem using his mobility at all in the college level i, I don't think so i, I think okay. you look at him i think the thing about him is his quickness you know probably more than yeah he ran a four six at the uh the opening last summer but i think it's his quickness he had a you know shuttle time was like four zero five which is that's pretty good defensive back shuttle time so that's the that explosiveness the quickness that's what you got to be able to do is, is to, to, you know, the burst to get out in front of a guy, uh, to, 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 to dodge a tackle or do those things. But, you know, Bo at six two two fifteen is, is a little bit bigger and, and thicker than I think people probably realize too. So yeah, I don't think he'll have a problem. I, like I said, I don't see him being a guy that's going to run for a thousand yards in a season, but I can see him being able to make plays and utilize, um, that part of the game a little bit more than Jared Stidham did the last couple of years. The O line was a was an issue last year, but they're bringing everybody back. Left tackle, obviously, probably the best situation anywhere on the line. How do you feel about the offensive line for Auburn this year? Yeah, you know, I look at this group and um, I I see improvement. I think they'll be better. My question is, is that can they become a line, and do they need to be a line like 2013 that people know you're going to run it? and you didn't mind that they did because you still were able to run the football. I don't know that they'll be that type of line, but I think this, this group is a better line in terms of pass protection, um, which I think might work well for, for, for this offensive unit and this offensive style. Um, I thought last year at the end of the year, they finally started to come together a little bit. Some of that was... Especially in the Alabama game. Absolutely. You know, even, you know that game, you look at the score, and it, it kind of doesn't tell the tale, but I thought they they really did a good job in the Alabama game. It probably started in the Georgia game, getting yeah. him back a little bit healthy. Um, those guys kind of came together a little bit. All five of those guys were injured at some point during the season, and Mark Harrell and Mike Horton and Caleb Kim were injured probably over half the year. And so it really stunted the growth of that line, and I thought they finally came together. Obviously, Northwestern. I, Northwestern wasn't a very good football team, and so it didn't take a whole lot for them to, to put on a showing. But there's they executed at a high level. They went out and took care of business. They did all the things they needed to do, and they did not do that earlier in the year. I mean, they could have done that against Arkansas, against Southern Miss. They didn't execute then. They did at the end of the year. 
a lot of confidence built from that. Can they carry it over and execute against uh, what I think is going to be a better Oregon defense than people give them credit for on Saturday? Um, I think they can, but the question is, can they become a group that can knock guys off the line and establish that running game? And, and that's what you got to do in this offense to take it to another level. Do you think the running back situation has improved this year? Uh, without question. Uh, you know, the one thing you got is, I think, first of all, I think you have a, a running back in Booby Whitlow that understands what it takes to be a number one running back um, on the field, off the field, um, learning how to approach the game, learning how to take care of his body, all those things that he just didn't really have an idea on last year. I mean, you know, I probably I probably watched Booby Whitlow as, as, as much or more than anybody um, during his high school days from his junior year. I think first game of his junior season probably to – the end of his his run in the playoffs as a senior, I probably saw him five or six different times because I kind of became enamored by him because he was such a dynamic player. You could see flashes of that last year, but you also saw a guy that that you know had a couple of fumbles at the goal line, ball mm-hmm. security at point. I think he has learned now what it takes to become a true running back, and I think he's really kind of become uh you know stepped into that role with Cadillac Williams of of learning from a guy who was in the same position he was, I think it's been good for him, but there's more depth when you, when you start talking about I McCann mean, Martin still there, you start talking about Sean Shivers, um, Harold Joyner, yeah. DJ Williams coming in and, and, and you still got Malik Miller. I mean, they listed six, six different guys in the depth chart. Um, I don't know how deep they'll get, but I think there's a, a, a spot and a role for some different uses for the running backs than what we've seen the last couple of years. And maybe it keeps them from, having a guy that has 30 carries in a game or multiple games that gets worn down at the end of the year. Yeah. I mean, Alabama doesn't do that anymore. If you look at their carry splits between Harris and Jacobs and guys like that in the last couple of years versus what it was like when Ingram was there and Derek Henry was there, it's just, it's changed. And, um, I wonder bringing Dillingham, I just, he won't be calling plays. Obviously that's going to be Gus Malzahn's thing, but like you would assume the running back situation is going to be, alleviated because one of the things that we loved about Memphis last year was that Daryl Henderson was averaging basically 10 yards to carry under Dillingham's offense in Memphis. And I wonder who is the biggest beneficiary, but it sounds like to you, it's going to be Booby Whitlow. Yeah. I think Booby's the guy that, that probably is, is the, the guy that gets the most carries. But I do believe Sean Shivers is the guy that's going to play a much bigger part in the offense than he did a year ago. And, and they mm-hmm. go back, go back to that Alabama game. Um, it is, you know, what, 70-yard touchdown run call back for what was very iffy holding call. Um, he's got that ability, and I think if you give him six, eight touches in a game, you know, there's a chance you could have, you know, one of those plays, you know, pretty often during the season. So I think he could be a guy that becomes a big beneficiary. And, you know, the thing to remember, too, you know, Cadillac Williams comes in. It, this offense from 2003 to 2004 really took off when – those guys shared more of that load in 2004, played yeah. in the backfield at the same time. He saw that in the NFL, and then he saw it even at IMG Academy where he was coaching, where he had a couple of running backs that that you know both said, "Hey, you know, we want to we want to be part of a running back group." And you know, we've seen you know not only Alabama do it, but Georgia do it as well, where you, know, you get two guys that that you know rush for a thousand yards instead of one guy for 1,700 to get those guys prepared for the NFL and to save their legs. And I think that's something that 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 Cadillac's really wanting to to have at Auburn down the road as well. Are there any holes in this defense right now? Because with Kevin Steele and this group, I kind of take it for granted, but I just assume they're going to be top 10, top 15 in, in college football this year. Is there anything that you're worried about? I mean, obviously it's not the defensive line. I think we're good. But anything in the backside that you're concerned at all about? Yeah, you know, honestly, it's, it's defensive line, and it's not first group, but I think depth. So you're worried about the defensive line? I think depth on the interior on the defensive line. Okay. I, I think I think behind Derek Brown, Tyler, Nick Coe. I mean, you know, just the, the tackle spots. I think, you know, you start going, okay, how do you get a rotation to get eight, nine guys in, which is what Rodney Garner wants to do. You know, Connor Miller's a guy that has the talent. He, you know, he missed most of the scrimmage time. Can he get out there for five or six plays maybe against Oregon and help you some? How much can he improve and, and get ready for the rest of the season? But you start looking at it, Tyrone Trudgesdale stepped in, and can he get you to, to where Dontavious Russell got you? I mean, Dontavious Russell was really good. Um, can you have another player that can 
at least eat up some some minutes and and, and do some of those things inside. Nick Coe's going to play tackle at times, but to me, where do the third and fourth true defensive tackles come from? Is it Connus Miller? Can you know DeQuan Newkirk become that guy? To me, that's the that's the question. Everywhere else on defense, um, I feel really good about this group. You know, depth, uh, talent on the edge. I feel good with you know Katie Moultrie and Big Cat, and obviously Nick Coe and Marlon Davidson. Um, mm-hmm. I think the linebacker group has a chance to be even better than last season. If really, even with all the changes, I think there's a lot of talent in this group. When you mm-hmm. add a, Owen Popo, uh, Zacoby McLean, and then KJ Britt, Chandler Wooten, I think are guys that are ready to take the next step. A very athletic linebacker group. So I think I feel good there. And then the secondary, you look at you know, Daniel Thomas and, and Jeremiah Denson at safety behind mm-hmm. them. Smoke Monday and Jeremiah Denson. I mean, I smoke Monday and Jamie Sherwood, but you know, yeah. you look at, at Javaris Davis and No Igmanogany. I mean, you got you got guys that all have the potential to uh, to be really, really strong players this season. You season. got dudes. But, yeah, I, I feel like this is a group that's ready to to, to step up in the secondary and, and and take on a different role. But to me, it's just I think depth on the interior on the defensive line behind those starters. That's that's really the only question mark I have for this defense. Interesting. Um, give me the latest on my guy, Anthony Schwartz. What can we expect from him this year? What's, yeah, what's going on? I, think, I think I think he's going to do really good things and, and big things this season. Will we see him on Saturday? I think that's the question mark. Um, will he be ready to go? I, I wouldn't be surprised at four or five plays that really get him okay. there and, and hey, run a couple of deep balls, um, mm-hmm. you know, try to stretch the defense, do those things. I wouldn't be surprised, but I think it's all going to depend on how he feels um saturday they get on the field and run around some and um you know provided he's cleared i i think i you know i think if he's cleared and he's ready to go i wouldn't be shocked to see him go out there and uh and try to uh, stretch the field a couple times biggest schedule issue for this auburn team this fall who probably you know even though you got georgia and alabama at the end mm-hmm. i think it's i think it's what happens until the end of october um will tell the okay. tale for this team um because you know, you have those road trips to Texas in September. Um, you mm-hmm. know, the opener in in Arlington, and then going to Texas A and M in Week Four, and yep. then you don't have a home game the entire month of October. So, if if it's you a bad got, schedule for Auburn, if you got struggles out of the gate, this season could could almost be over with before November. And and man, that's hard to say, and it's hard to think about, but it's a very real possibility when you talk about you know having LSU and and you know, Florida on the road after going to those two Texas trips, um, not to mention playing Mississippi State. That is, uh, I think, the only positive for Auburn is is that you don't have any of those back-to-back. Normally, you've mm-hmm. got a little bit of a breather in between. But, yeah, I think I think by the end of October, um, this season will have be pretty much written one way or the other. Uh, obviously, you can change a lot by winning the last two. But, um, man, I think if, if this team is rolling in the end of October – then everything is going to be in front of them to have a chance to to make a lot of noise. But on the flip side, if if, if you had some stumbles along the way, um, then well, you got some some real work to do to uh, to turn that thing around against uh, you know those two final teams at the end of the year. All right, last thing, then we have to wrap up here. Um, what is the record Gus Malzahn has to hit for him to keep his job this fall? Yeah, you know I've been asked that a bunch, and I don't know that there's a specific thing because I think it does kind of depend on how the season goes. Um, Mm-hmm. I think if you look at this team, especially playing a true freshman quarterback, I think if you struggle maybe a little bit early on, and even if you're two and two, and but you, if there's hope, right? Team, like he he just he has these great moments, and it seems like he's in the right system, and, and he's going to be a star in a couple years. Yeah, yeah. And I think if you're getting better as the season mm-hmm. goes on, and you can see the improvement, and then you get there at the end of the year, and and you split those two games to go eight and four, but you've seen and you've seen them. Hey, they pushed Georgia to the limit, beat Alabama, or vice versa. People go, okay, I see. I see coming. coming. Yeah, together. I think I think it all depends on what it looks like and how it comes together. So I don't know that there's a certain number. I just think it's more about what you see out of this team. And I think, much like 2012, when you see it go bad, you know it. But on the flip side, if you see it coming together, like we, you know, kind of like in the end of 2003, before that 2004 season. You saw it coming together at the end where right. you're like, okay, they're playing a little bit better. Maybe last season's bowl game 
was the inkling for this team to start to come together a little yeah. bit. I think it all kind of remains to be seen. Yeah, that's fair. Um, all right. Well, this this has been great. I, I feel better about Auburn season because I'm going to go ahead and tell you, Jason, I'm concerned because I could see seven and five. I could see 10 and two. I just, I don't have a good read. And that a lot of it just depends on what Bo Nix looks like and this defensive line depth that you're talking about and everything else. And like what the offensive line looks like, but yeah, there's, there's I go so back and forth questions. on this. So there's so many questions. And, and, it, and that's part of, it. and I think it's one of the things that for me, it, it almost comes down to less about Bo Nix. For me, it almost comes down more to, to can this defense take the next step and become a dominant defense to give the ball back to Bo Nix, to give him some mm-hmm. easy scoring opportunities, score a few touchdowns along the way. To me, it if you have that, then it makes everything else a lot easier. And can this defense become that group? That's that's what I'm looking for this year, if they can take that next step. Can I just tell you that if we beat LSU, this season is a win for me. Because <laughs> that game last year just destroyed my soul i yeah, remember my, where oh, i was it's gonna bother oh, yeah. me forever the burrow like he sucks he he absolutely sucks and just us losing that game was just it was tough for me that that was a if we beat lsu this year and beat burrow i'm i'm happy i'm a happy camper well if this team goes to baton rouge and wins yes. then more than likely um they're gonna have a team that can compete with anybody and, and though if that happens i think it turns into a pretty good year Okay, well, that's good. Um, all right, so you're betting on twelve and zero for Auburn, Jason. <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, this gives you really tough, but I do think this is going to be a competitive football team, and that's what you want to see. You go out and compete, give yourself a chance to win, and with a strong kicking game um, and a defense uh, and a veteran offensive line, if you do that, then I think you win your fair share, and uh, maybe along the way uh, some things come together. But um, hey, we'll start to find out beginning Saturday. All right. Well, I, I lied. I have one more question for you real yeah. quick. Right. Um, Gus Malzahn, is he the coach of Auburn next year? Come to your head, yes or no? I think so. Yeah, I okay. think so. I think, uh, I think they'll do enough. And, uh, and in the end, um, I think it's continuity so important. Um, I think this is a great staff he's put together. You look at the recruiting trail and go, man, they're, they're starting. So you're a big Dillingham really guy. I think he's going to be good for Gus. I think it's a mm-hmm. good I think Gus is doing what he sh- what he should have been doing all along, um, back to being himself and calling plays. Mm-hmm. I think that the team will feed off that a little bit, but I I do think that the pieces are in place right now for this thing to continue to get better. Um, and the schedule may not allow it to show as much this season with wins and losses, but I do think this is a group that uh, is putting some things together. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. This I've taken way too much of your time, Jason. But is there anything we need to check out from you this week? Um, on your end, you know, loads of loads of everything. You can find it at uh, obviously utigers dot com, Auburn twenty four seven, and um, I mean previews, videos, everything you can want to imagine as uh, as we get ready to, to head to Dallas and uh, and have full coverage from there. Um, you know, beginning on Saturday. So uh, check us out and uh, and and come along for the ride. All right. Do we beat Oregon and go back to back opening weekend wins against Pac twelve teams? I think I really think this one's a, a, a big toss up. It's, it's a really veteran yeah. Oregon team. I don't feel great about it. The ball. I think it's one where uh, again this comes down to defense. I think it's more about the defense than it is about Bo Nix. I think if you out and can control the line of scrimmage defensively um, and can can you know keep them from explosive plays, then I think Auburn wins the game. Okay. All right. You heard it here first, folks. Auburn's not only beating Oregon, they're going 12 and 0. Jason, thank you so much. Um, I appreciate it. We will go check you out on 247 Sports. Keep up the great work, and uh, I will talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Appreciate it. All right, we're back on the Chase Most Podcast, and I'm now joined by Jeremy from dogsports.com. Jeremy, good evening. How are you doing? Good, Chase. How's it going with you? Um, it's good. We just talked to Auburn um, a little bit with Auburn's two four seven. Huh? My oh no, actually, it's a great. No, 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 no. no. Hold on, hold on. Your sympathy, sir. We can go down the Marshall Lane. We can go down all kinds of great Auburn Georgia memories if you would like. I'm more than happy to do that with you. Yeah, no, I, I'm just messing with you. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Auburn's a very interesting team this season, I think, in the SEC, and uh, yeah, one that uh, for reasons that will probably come up during our conversation. Yeah, you know, I think Georgia fans really need to keep an eye on. 
I hope. I mean, that's that's the hope. Um, it depends on how the Saturday goes and how the Texas A&M game goes, and they have a really rough October because they're not home the whole month. Like, there's a lot of Auburn's schedule is like the inverse of Georgia's schedule, which is a, a, a gigantic concern for me. But um, it's good for you, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's I think that's probably the case. And and Georgia's schedule, I think, sets up very well early. Uh, you know, it's kind of the mm-hmm. thing that you look at. Uh, with Vanderbilt on the road to open the season, um, you know Murray State and Arkansas State. Uh, Arkansas State has given you know some uh, Power Five teams fits in the past, but has not really you know, come out and beaten a lot of teams. Certainly, no teams the caliber of this 2019 Georgia team. Uh, so, really, Georgia's probably going to get three games to kind of break things in before they host Notre Dame on September 21st in Athens. Um, so yeah, the schedule I think sets up really well for Georgia, uh, with some position groups that, that have a lot of young guys that need to, to gel, just solidify a little bit before things, uh, you know, really get tough, uh, for them in October and November. Uh, it sets up well for them to be able to make that happen. You say tough. Um, Georgia does not have a tough schedule. And if you look at their October, November, you're making it seem a little bit, a little bit tougher than it actually is. Georgia's got a, an amazing schedule for the situation that they're in. And Auburn has the exact opposite situation, I, I would say. Yeah, Are you really? at all concerned that Georgia doesn't go at minimum 10 and 2? Like, that's worst case scenario based on the schedule and their talent level. You know, I, you would think that, but as a Georgia fan, I have a solid 30 years of uh, having mm-hmm. this team disappoint me uh, to fall back okay. on. Uh, it, it is truly uh, a reservoir of terror. Uh, that, that we have as a fan base, and there's really one particular, uh, one particular third of the schedule uh, that that I've had circled and, and have been warning Bulldog fans about. Um, it's in November. Uh, it actually starts November second with Florida and the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Uh, mm-hmm. Then, then the next week, November 9th, Georgia takes on Missouri. Um, yeah, nobody's picking Missouri to beat Georgia. Uh, Missouri's going to be good. Yeah, Missouri is one of those teams that I think a lot of people are looking at and saying Missouri might beat somebody uh, mm-hmm. who, who Missouri is not really – you wouldn't think Missouri's going to beat. They're going to score some points. I think they're going to be better mm-hmm. on defense than they were in 2018. And so, yeah, that one worries me a little bit. And, of course, Auburn on uh, November 16th is going to be a very physical game. As you well know, Auburn returns – uh, a lot of ball players uh, on the defensive mm-hmm. front seven and on the offensive front. Um, that one is is going to be a tough ball game. Uh, and for Georgia, they lead that game. It's always a very emotional, physical uh, football game. Uh, and then they have to come back uh, the next week and play Texas A&M uh, on November 23rd, uh, leading into the rivalry game. Uh, against Georgia Tech to finish the year. So so that's really, to me, the, the amen corner of Georgia's schedule, that November 2nd through November 23rd. Uh, you know, so they're they're going to be favored in all those games. Uh, e- even I, the most pessimistic fan. So you think they're favorite fan, in all, all their games this, this fall? Yeah, I, I expect so. And, uh, barring mm. something like a, a Jake Fromm injury uh, or, or some real attrition on the offensive front, something that reorients the expectations of, of what this Georgia team is coming into the season. They are probably going to be a favorite in, in every one of those games. Um, the question is, can they execute it? Of course, we, we've seen uh, in the first three years of the Kirby Smart regime, uh, Georgia has dropped a road game to an SEC West opponent uh, every time. Uh, it, it has happened uh, like clockwork, Ole Miss in 2016, uh, Auburn 2017, LSU 2018. Um, and so that's really a streak they're, they're going to have to to break. Uh, it was something that was talked about a lot under Mark Richt, uh, how Georgia seemed to have one game every year uh, where, where they just didn't show up and nobody really Yeah, it was knew, like Clemsoning for Mark Richt. Yeah, exactly. Richtoning, uh, we might mm-hmm. call it. Uh, and so that's something that we haven't really seen. Even, uh, yeah, even in the, those games that Georgia has lost, 
uh, with the exception of that Ole Miss game uh, in, in 2016, um, which was, you know, that that, that was uh, kind of a kind of an outlier and a hangover I from the remember Rick. that. Oh yeah, they they got absolutely blasted by Ole Miss in Oxford. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I forget the exact score. I want to say it was like 45, 13, 45, 16. It was it was bad. Was this a um, Bo Wallace year? Uh, I think this was actually a Chad Kelly. Chad Kelly. Okay, uh, yeah, Bo yeah, Wallace this- beat Alabama. And I right. have that great memory, but like, okay, so check, this is what Old Miss does. They just have one of these insane wins every year. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a very, uh, it was a very Hugh Freeze kind of moment um, mm-hmm. in time. And uh, so, yeah, that, that one was a little bit weird, but Georgia had the, the game against Auburn where, uh, you know, Auburn just came out in, in 2017 and really ran the ball on them. Uh, Georgia had some players out. Uh, injured that they really were banged up going into that one um, got healthy came back and and really did the exact same thing to Auburn in the SEC championship game uh, when Auburn had some guys who were out uh, and the whole thing just kind of flipped around uh, last year uh, of course they go to Baton Rouge um, and that game was weird yeah yeah I mean just uh, yeah did not a um, lot of mistakes a lot you know a lot of things were very not a very typical Jake Fromm game. Like it, right. was the, it was an atypical version of what he is. It was it was very strange to watch. I mean, the Auburn game was worse. Just to go ahead and like LSU did two things to both of our teams, which was just dumb as hell. And we can just say playing LSU like you just throw everything out the window. It seems like because nothing makes sense. They shouldn't win these games, and they win these games. And Joe Burrow, um, not a believer. It drives me nuts. Um, I, I just I hate all of it. I hate playing LSU with a with a very strong, fervent fashion. I'm I am nursing a a nascent fear that Ed Orgeron uh, is is really he's got this strategy going where he he kind of drags you down to crazy and beats you with experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I really Ed Orgeron in weird, crazy games uh really should frighten people. Uh, I don't know what exactly it is, what what the juju is there, but yeah, I, mm-hmm. I mean and that game was really that. Uh, I mean, Jake Fromm is a guy who completes uh over 67% of his passes uh yep. during the 2018 season, throws for almost 2800 yards, throws 30 touchdowns versus six interceptions, um and he looked absolutely frazzled uh, at times right. against against that LSU defense. Um, and that's really the thing that if you're a Georgia fan, I think has to worry you in 2019, um, is do you have one of those inexplicable kind of games or, uh, on the contrary, has Kirby Smart built this team in terms of depth and experience to the point that, uh, you, you no longer have to worry about that, that kind of weirdness happening. That, that's really the, the question, uh, that Bulldog fans are going to be asking over the next 15 weeks. Do you expect this team to be in the playoff this year? I have, uh, yeah, I've gone on record saying I, I think that uh, they didn't make the playoff. Um, okay. I'm not predicting an, an undefeated season. Um, mm-hmm. My my weird circuitous route for how they get there uh, is that Georgia does Georgia things, um, drops a game to somebody. Uh, again, I have circled Auburn on the schedule um, because it's Georgia... a good sneaky pick to me because of like yeah. Kelly Bryant and that group looks as good as they did. Like they're just. I don't think a lot of people realize they're like a solid top 13 team in the country. They're like somewhere in that zone where it's just, it's good enough where it's like you could sneak up and beat somebody like that. It's close enough. Yeah. It's, it's a good case for plausible heartbreak is, is Mm -hmm. uh, exactly what it is. And, and so I could easily see Georgia 11 and one going into the SEC championship game, uh, relatively healthy, uh, and, and winning that one. Um, I don't know if it's against Alabama could be against Auburn, um, I really don't think it's against LSU. I'm really, I, I, you know, I would like to buy LSU. I would like to buy into the recency bias of, of having had them, uh, you know, turn my favorite team into Jambalaya in 2018. And so I'm supposed to, to really like them. I'm just not fully buying it like you. I'm, I'm not exactly on board with Joe Burrow. Uh, as a a consistent SEC West winning quarterback, um, but yeah, I, th- I think Georgia plays one of two scenarios happens: uh, either Georgia makes it through undefeated, loses an SEC championship game uh, to a similarly undefeated uh, Alabama team, uh, two SEC teams make it in uh, under that scenario, or uh, they finish eleven and one, 
uh, win that SEC championship game. Uh, and there's still a chance you get two SEC teams in the playoff. Um, you know, I think you get two SEC teams. Uh, Clemson, I really don't know who's going to stop them in the ACC. I, I just... Uh, Have you gone to their schedule last year? Like when Trevor Lawrence is healthy, what he actually did to every team that he played? Like it's... He hasn't had a close game yet. Yeah, it is. He's blowing everybody out. Like, Clemson, we just, we're talking ourselves into Bama and other teams like that. I'm like, if Trevor Lawrence is healthy, I don't know, what what do you think is happening here? Like, I understand that they're a little bit thinner on some areas, but like, this dude has not played a close game yet. Yeah, he, uh, you know, the Heisman odds have come out, and I've seen, uh, Tua has great odds, obviously, um, Justin Fields. Why? Has, yeah, if Trevor Justin, Lawrence plays 16 games, I mean, 12 yeah. games, he's winning the Heisman. Like, yeah, I, I just I, don't know how you do that. Yeah, I, I don't think there's a question. I think that, you know, if, if Trevor Lawrence stays healthy, uh, he is, is going to do things to the ACC that probably violate the Geneva Convention. Uh, <laughs> he, he is going yeah. to, yeah, he's going to throw for however many yards Dabo wants to allow him to throw for. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. I have a question, I, though, for you. What's up? What was he? Who was he committed to before he went to Clemson? Before he went to Clemson, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know that he ever actually. I don't think he ever actually was formally committed. He grew up a Tennessee mm. fan, uh, right? And uh, that was one thing. But Georgia, there was some like strong Georgia stuff, right? Yeah, he 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 was strongly considering Georgia. Um, mm. I yeah, you know, I frankly don't think was ever was ever planning on on signing with Georgia. Um, okay, cer- I certainly never got that read. Um, uh, at, at any point. Um, I think that... As we know, the Cartersville Purple Hurricanes, not a big Georgia factory. No, no, ab- absolutely not. Never have been. Um, um. <laughs> you know, Car- Cartersville, yeah. uh, long, long ago annexed into um, South Central Tennessee. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I, to, to me, Trevor Lawrence is, is one of those players, along with, with Cade Mays, who, who really may still be starting for Georgia uh, at guard this year. Um, mm. every time that Cade Mays and Trevor or Trevor Lawrence, uh, trots onto a football field, some, a Tennessee fan somewhere should curse Butch Jones one, once more. Um, because, uh, somehow, somehow they managed to miss out on a lot of five-star players who really just needed some reason to go to Knoxville, like any reason would have done. And, and they, they didn't give them one. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, Trevor Lawrence, I think is in for a big year. Clemson, I think is in the playoff. Um, I think you get two SEC teams in. Uh, my question, the thing I'm looking forward to is exactly how does the Big Ten avoid getting in the playoff this year? I know they're going to do it. I just haven't figured out how they're going to do it, but I'm really excited to you see You think they're going to avoid? You don't think they're going to have a, a, a team in? I don't think so. I, I really Interesting. don't. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly how they're going to do it. Um, don't don't ask me for the, the logical chain of events, but somehow... I can tell you how. If they don't get in, it's because Nebraska beats them in the Big Ten Championship game because Nebraska is finally, I think, going to be a little bit better with Adrian Martinez and Frost and that group. And I think the, the Big Ten West is finally going to be a little bit better and we're going to see like Ohio State versus Nebraska. And I could see Nebraska playing spoiler in a Big Ten title game. I could see that um, them just eating themselves, but I also think Justin Fields is a dark horse... Heisman candidate, and I just think Ryan Day be, being just Chip Kelly 2.0 and him cleaning up that staff and getting Matt to send everybody else in there and getting rid of the J- Greg Schiano scheme, they're going to be good. And yeah. I just, I think Ohio State, there's no reason for them not to go 12-0, and and they're a playoff pick for me. Um, I have bigger questions about Oklahoma than I do Ohio State. I think Ohio State, I'm penciling in as a playoff team, for sure. Yeah, that, that's fair. And, and I think everyone should probably have some questions about Oklahoma at this point. Um, you know, that's uh, at a certain point, how many times can you roll the dice and, and have them come up uh, aces? I mean, how exactly how many times can Lincoln Riley, uh, you know, trot in a new quarterback? And, you know, let's let's be I mean, clear. I'm not betting against Lincoln Riley. I just think Jalen Hurts is just not as good as Kyler Murray and uh, Baker Mayfield, who both went <laughs> number one overall. Like, it's hard to keep that streak going. I yeah. don't think he's going to be number one overall in the draft next year. I, I just think that's that's going to go away. But the, have you seen the five-star they have behind him? Who, oh, who's yeah. coming? Like, he's going to be on the field next year. But this year, I'm just not a big Oklahoma guy. I could see Texas winning the Big 12 this year. Yeah, no, I, there's, and that's the thing is uh, Oklahoma fans should not be at all upset if they wind up 11 and one or 10 and two uh, this year with, with what they, with what they have done the past couple of seasons, uh, a one year pause in which they're only excellent 
Um, mm-hmm. so that, that's not a bad thing. Uh, that's that's certainly right. not terrible. Um, like you said, they have they have begun to really stockpile talent. Uh, they I think they're a team, uh, you know, to keep an eye on for the future. But yeah, that's uh, gonna, that's going to be very very interesting. Auburn again remains. Um, perhaps I think the sleeper team in the SEC. Don't do this to me. Uh, I can't do this. Yeah, no, it. Uh, yeah, I mean, really and truly, um, as a Georgia fan, I I never need an excuse to uh, be worried about Auburn. Uh, that that's something that you know, just I wake up every morning and I worry about Auburn. Um, you know, what what exactly? Can I tell you who you should be more worried about than Auburn this year? I, I'm I'm open to suggestions. So. I don't think you go undefeated against Florida and at Tennessee. I, I don't, I go back and forth on which one I'm more confident in like pulling an upset, but like, I think Tennessee's going to be a lot better this year. And I also think what we saw from Florida, like we'll have to see how that defensive line matches up against Georgia's offensive line. I, I don't know. Like, I think it's asking a lot for me to believe that they're beating Tennessee on the road and then a neutral site game against Florida. And I understand Georgia fans are like, oh, we're we're just so much better, blah, 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 blah. But like you're doing at Tennessee, South Carolina at home, then Kentucky at home, and then at Florida. And I, I don't know. Like their November, their October, November slate is is complicated. I just I I think best case scenario they go eleven and one, which is very, very possible for them, but I don't know. I just, I, I, something in my gut is telling me it's not going to be Auburn that they lose to. It's either Tennessee or Florida, and it's going to drive all Georgia fans mad because Florida fans are going to hold that against them for the next year, or Tennessee fans are like, we're coming, and this is our, this is our division now. I just, I don't know which one it is. I just, Felipe Franks or Jared Garantanamo is uh, going to be very happy this yeah. fall against Georgia. That's, my, that's my thing. Yeah, I, I am on record at Dog Sports as saying that. Uh, Tennessee is going to be a much better football team this year than people give them credit for. I, I put Tennessee in the same category as Nebraska in that mm. they, they now have a coaching staff, which has helped them reach that basic level of competence at, at right. which they become dangerous. Um, mm. If nothing else under Jeremy Pruitt, uh, Tennessee is going to be a more physical football team in year two. I think that's, if you talk to coaches around the league, that's one of the things that they talked about uh, sort of in, in the waning years of, of the Butch Jones era. Uh, that Tennessee team got pushed around uh, a lot uh, on the offensive and defensive fronts. Um, no one was really particularly scared of, of the 2017 Tennessee defense. Um, this group, though, you know, there, there's some talent uh, that he's starting to get in, especially on that offensive line. Uh, and they're gonna they're gonna take their licks uh, in 2019, uh, but Tennessee is actually gonna have really really good play uh, up front uh, by 2020. And uh, so yeah, it's gonna be curious. I think Georgia gets them early enough this year uh, that I'm I'm less worried about them than probably than I am Florida. Um, I worry about Florida a little bit because um, you know if. If Dan Mullen can do anything, it's um, you know kind of MacGyver stuff together well enough to make it work. Um, and so I could see him yeah, pulling together a decent enough game plan that if Georgia's not on it uh, on November second, yeah, they could lose to Florida. That's that's certainly a possibility. Um, but for the long run, uh, looking you know, further out into into 2020. I, I'm actually way more bullish on the future of Tennessee football than I am Florida football. Um, mm. And again, a lot of it comes down to, uh, you know, if you, if you ever get the chance to, to ask Jeremy Pruitt about this, he is, he is pretty unabashed in telling you that given the choice, um, he, he would rather recruit well uh, than have the most brilliant X's and O's coaches. Um, yeah. You know, that's the thing about Dan Mullen, right? Is he's always the smartest guy in the field, but the recruiting is just not, it, like that was the biggest complaint about McElwain where like the recruiting's just not there. Like they're winning yeah. the East a couple years in a row, but like that recruiting is just not going to be sustainable. And Mullins, he's struggling there and depth is a huge issue. But like, if you look at Dan Mullen, like if you talk to people around the league, he's the smartest coach X and O's wise in the league. Yeah. And it, it's interesting. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and it was it, when Jeremy Pruitt explained this, it was actually, uh, before the, uh, it's actually before the uh, UGA Alabama national championship game uh, in, in 2017. And it was some kind of a media gaggle before that. 
Um, and he, he sort of riffed a little bit about this and talked about how, uh, you know, in the SEC, uh, every coach, uh, every staff that you find, uh, you're going to find excellent game planners. And, and I think he's right about that. Um, but the more you see it in the SEC, especially, um, it, a lot of times it comes down to Jimmy's and Joe's. Uh, and, and you got to have, uh, you just got to have the players. Um, it, there's a lot of things that you can cover up in game planning. Uh, by just being bigger, faster, and stronger than uh, your opponent. Um, I don't know that I see Florida doing that under Dan Mullen in the long term. It's tough for me because I'm a big Dan Mullen guy, and I think what he did at Mississippi State has kind of been undersold um, in recent years just because like getting a Mississippi State program to number one in the nation at any point in time is insane, and you can go back to the Sylvester Croom days, anything else. Like it's just we've I think we've underplayed just how much of an amazing program he built there, but he has to recruit better. And we know by Bud Elliott's algorithm that you have to have a certain number <laughs> over a four year stretch to get in there. And it's just, I don't know if he'll get there. And it's weird because you would assume that Dan Mullen and Todd Grantham are, would recruit at a level that was strong enough to get in the top five, top 10, but like Tennessee, if I had to bet on who recruits better in the next five years, it's uh, Tennessee. And they also brought in T Martin, who's just an amazing recruiter. And you brought in Jim Chaney and like, they tried to get Sam Pittman. They didn't get him, but like they tried, like Tennessee is going to recruit. And I think you're going to see top five classes from them very soon. And I don't know. It's, it's an interesting dynamic and I'm interested to see how that plays out with Pruitt versus uh, Mullen. So both coordinators, UGA different, are you at all concerned about the the new DC and the new OC? You know, not particularly. Um, part of that is because they're guys who were already on the staff, so you got a little bit of continuity there. Um, you know, I don't think Georgia is going to do anything particularly outlandish on either side of the ball. Uh, the defense is is still going to be what you've come to expect from Kirby Smart. It's going to look a lot like what he coordinated at Alabama. It's going to be a you know base three four multiple kind of defense. They're going to spend a lot of time. Uh, in more of a four-two-five look, uh, sometimes going to a three-three-five. Um, you know that that's kind of what it's going to be. What it is. Um, so yeah, not not particularly worried about uh, what we're going to see from Dan Lanning. Uh, I, I think uh, you know he was involved with game planning already. Not a whole lot of change defensively. If you ask Georgia fans, will they see a change on offense? Um, they're actually going to say, and, and again, this is kind of weird. You know when you just had the you know the number two scoring offense in the SEC, uh, they're actually kind of hoping for some change. Um, Jim Chaney scored points. Uh, Jim Chaney is, uh, in my estimation, one of the better offensive coordinators in college football uh, for the simple fact that he historically has done more with less at every stop he's been to uh, than anybody else. Um, it, it's pretty amazing, the, the things that he kind of hamstrings together. But there were some things that Georgia fans specifically did not like about Jim Chaney um, and ultimately came to loathe about Jim Chaney. Uh, the major one was his use of the tight ends. Uh, Georgia had um, last year on the roster uh, one five-star and three four-star uh, former recruits at the tight end position uh, and, frankly, hardly used any of them. Uh, and it was a continual source of frustration for Bulldog fans. Uh, Isaac Nauta, uh, starter at tight end, gone, uh, declared early for the NFL draft. Uh, Jackson Harris graduated. It's another veteran tight end who they'd used a lot in the past. Um, and so the hope uh, is that Coach Coley is going to uh, use those guys a little bit more. Um, Kirby Smart was asked uh, last week a little bit about uh, you know, kind of what we can come to expect from from Coach Coley, and uh, you know what kind of goes into the decision of making him uh, the offensive coordinator. And he was fairly candid in that uh, he said, "Look, uh, when you're putting together a staff, you're trying to balance things." Uh, he mentioned recruiting specifically. You know, Coley is well known as an excellent recruiter. Uh, Cheney, less so, uh, probably as as a recruiter. Uh, and so I think the thought was. Uh, you elevate Coley uh, partially uh, as a way of keeping him on the staff in that recruiting role where he's been so valuable. Uh, but we do know a little bit about his track record as an offensive coordinator. He has done that. Um, and so I think he's probably going to try and throw the ball a pretty good bit. Um, that he's been is, open about that, right? 
that they were yeah. going to be more of a pass happy team than in years past. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely the case now. Um, to be perfectly candid, I, I think in saying that the, the predicate that he's leaving out is because duh, we we've got a third year starting quarterback um, who's a you know a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate and is is probably going to be is in the he, NFL in a couple. What years. do we do this? Yeah, is he? It's like the Freddie Freeman conversation with MVP in baseball, where it's like, he's great. Love Freddie Freeman. He's a top five player in the NL. He's not a real candidate. Like, unless Cody Bellinger and Yelich die. No, they're not like, we say candidate. And I just, I don't understand. Like, he's not better than Trevor Lawrence. He's not, like, he's not, he's not better than Tua. Like, he's number four, number five. He's, if people die, Jake Fromm can get in there. Yeah, sure. That gets that gets him to New York, which qualifies him as a candidate. I mean, I, you know, does I'm not it? Gonna, yeah, I'm not going to say okay. he's. I'm not going to say he's winning it. I'm, you know, I'm not crazy. I don't like Canada. Uh, I guess it just drives me nuts. Yeah. I don't know. It drives me nuts. Where I'm like, is he? Is he though? Would you ever take him number one overall in a quarterback draft in college football? No, you wouldn't. He's number three, which <laughs> is great. Most teams would kill for Jake Fromm right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and and that's what uh, you know. If you're James Coley. Um, and you've got Jake Fromm, of course you're going to throw the ball. Um, yeah. You'd be crazy not to. You've got an offensive line that averages 335 pounds across the front. Um, Is that true? 335? Yeah. yeah. De- depend- depending on how many biscuits Isaiah Wilson had for breakfast <laughs> at any given time, uh-huh. um, he's about 345 of them, maybe 350. Mm-hmm. Um, ben Cleveland, 335, 350. 40 again depending what is Andrew age. Thomas right now uh they're they're listing him at 320 and I absolutely don't believe it um I, <laughs> I look at that guy and I mean again we're, we're kind of talking about uh, you know sir exactly how many exactly how many deck chairs did you count on the Queen Mary um mm. but yeah he he's he's a legit 325 330 as well um he he is Andrew Thomas is a big dude. Um, he he's just big in every way, um, and I think uh, talking about legitimate candidates, he is I think a legitimate candidate to be a top fifteen uh, NFL draft pick uh, in twenty twenty. Um, book it. Uh, teams are are going to get Andrew Thomas to the to the combine. Uh, see his his athleticism and uh, frankly his wingspan. Um, Andrew Thomas has. Perhaps the most unbelievable wingspan of a of a college tackle uh, that I've seen in a while. Um, hmm. But yeah, when when you've got those guys up front and uh, uh, you know Jake Fromm throwing the ball, yeah, you're you're probably gonna you're probably gonna air it out a little bit. Um, who's he gonna air it out to? That's kind of another question. Uh, obviously, for Georgia fans, uh, it looks like you're you're definitely looking at a a starting wide receiver rotation. It's going to include Tyler Simmons, uh, senior, um, veteran player. He's going to be in that rotation. Uh, Demetrius Robertson, transfer from Cal, uh, I think is probably going to see probably your starter at slot receiver. Might be Kyrus Jackson, uh, second-year player out of Peach County uh, in middle Georgia. Uh, going to see him a lot as well. I think you're also going to see Dominic Blaylock, uh, you know, five-star recruit. Uh, out of uh, Cobb County, north of Atlanta. Uh, you're going to see him in that rotation. Georgia is probably going to play, uh, I'm going to conservatively say, they're going to get a good bit of mileage out of seven receivers uh, in the first half of the year. Mm. Um, they could play as many as nine. Who do you think breaks out of that bunch? Who do you, who do you believe in most? The guy, the guy who I think people are going to be amazed uh, how much he plays, and it's because he's, been such a low profile player so far uh, is a guy named Matt Landers. Uh, keep, okay. a, keep an eye on Matt Landers. There's a legitimate possibility that uh, that he's starting against Vanderbilt. Big receiver, six five, uh, good speed, good body control. Um, is a real down you know, downfield threat. Um, another guy to keep an eye on out of that group uh, that people have been talking about a lot is George Pickens. He's a five star recruit. Um, Clearly, his grades were too good to go to Auburn, um, so he ends up at Georgia. And uh, I'm cutting that from the podcast. But, you know, that's yeah. But uh, ends up at Georgia has been drawing rave reviews uh, already. Um, like all freshman receivers. God, I hope he transfers to to Auburn at some point. That's going to be great. It's going to be great. 
<laughs> well, you know, <laughs> some 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 Georgia players eventually end up transferring to Auburn, and we wish them the best. Um, yeah, like Nick Marshall. There was yeah. this game that I remember that Nick Marshall. So he used to play at Georgia, and he ended up being a quarterback at Auburn, and he had this game late in late in the season where he found Ricardo Lewis deep. The game was, it seemed like Auburn wasn't going to win the game. And then they did behind a, an ex-Georgia DB. At yeah, with, with, yeah, with the help of a, a uh, sleeper agent, uh, Auburn DB, uh, who somehow mysteriously <laughs> found his way into the Georgia defensive backfield. Um, how that, you know. I mean, <laughs> talk about playing. It turns out Trey Matthews was playing the long con. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 Trey Matthews is Kaiser Soze. Uh, Kaiser says A is Trey Matthews. Um, so uh, anyway, but yeah, I mean, George, George, George Pickens is a guy who, you know, if everything comes together for, for George Pickens, um, he, he's going to be something. Uh, I don't know exactly at what point that happens. I think it happens some point during the 2019 season. Um, I don't know that it's you know, necessarily against Vanderbilt or uh, Murray State. Uh, but yeah, Georgia, Georgia has got a lot of weapons in that receiver rotation. There's just no telling exactly which ones, uh, you know, which ones end up taking primacy. I'll tell you about George Pickens. Um, what's good about him is that he, if you look at him and look at the way he moves, he moves and looks like Zion Williamson. So that's a good, uh, good category to be in, right? Yeah, he, he is, um, he is one of those guys, an athletic freak. Yeah, he he kind of he kind of moves in the air in a way that makes you think he's wire fighting, is is kind of mm-hmm. the the way I describe it. I don't quite understand sometimes when he goes up exactly how he's moving the way he is. Um, that, that's probably because you know, he propels himself into the air with a, an amount of force that I can only imagine. Um, but yeah, you're right. I and mean, he's a Hoover kid, right? That's right. Yep. And, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but uh, really, a, a guy for whom the sky's the limit. Um, you know, Dominic Blaylock again, slot, uh, another true freshman who, who I think is a, a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, and Kyrus Jackson, guy I mentioned a little bit earlier, um, second year player out of Peach County, um, probably going to play in the slot. Really tough guy, kind of com- one of those compact um, slot receivers uh, who will catch the ball, take a hit, uh, and keep getting upfield. Um, you know, and and those guys sometimes. Uh, under the right circumstances, can can really gash a defense. Um, so it's going to be interesting. Uh, Kyrus Jackson is sort of my pick among the Georgia receivers uh, to have one of those games where he is just absolutely a thorn in somebody's side. Um, you know, I think that's something that you'll also see in 2019. Well, I would like to wish George Pickens the best, but he flipped from Auburn to Georgia. Um, leave me his home stage so I can I could do no such thing unfortunately um, but you know it uh, we'll have to see what all happens this fall uh, so give me a final prediction your final final prediction Vanderbilt game Saturday what is your final prediction for Georgia football this season what happens uh, just just the Vanderbilt game or, or like the season writ large no in general mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just, if, if you lose to Vanderbilt the season's over just as a heads up <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of getting that impression. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no, that's uh, we're just gonna close. We're just gonna close down the site. Sorry, folks. We've right, got, like you just go home. ahead and move on. Like yep. it's over. Yep. Gone fishing. Mm-hmm. Kitten pictures. Kitten pictures for the next ten months. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, uh, yeah. I, again, I think you're probably looking at at an eleven and one Georgia team. Um, I would like to say that this Georgia team finishes twelve and zero in, in the regular season, but I have seen too many. Georgia regular seasons to be able to predict that. Um, it's like I've got a, a governor on my level of, of enthusiasm. I just cannot quite force myself to say Georgia will will win all of the games in which it is favored. Um, it, it's sort of like in uh, you know in, in statistical terms uh, how you talk about the odds of one event may be very small, but the odds of a whole series of unlikely events becomes even more unlikely um, in that same kind of way. Even though I know intellectually Georgia is probably going to be favored in all 12 regular season games. Um, like we talked about a few minutes ago, there are a number of them that just look trappy to me in various ways. 
Um, and so the odds of Georgia surviving every one of those kind of trappy looking games, um, I, you know, I don't know that that happens. That being said, I still think it's a really good football team, top to bottom, uh, offense, defense. I think it's a really good football team. So if that Georgia team that stubs its toe one time can get to Atlanta in December, uh, you know, against a really good team from the SEC West, you know, I think they got a shot. I really do. Um, you know, maybe I'm foolish enough to say it, but yeah, I, I think this Georgia team may actually win the SEC this year. Okay, they're not, but I appreciate your enthusiasm. I, I unfortunately have to be the bearer of bad news, which is that Georgia is not going to do that. Thankfully, because the sports gods love me, so that's, that's not going to happen. Wait a minute, it's not an even number year, is it? Mm, it is. What is it? 2019. Oof. It's not an even number year. No. No, it's not. It's an odd year, dude. You're host. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we'll have to see. We'll have to see, Jeremy. So I appreciate it. Um, is there anything we need to check out from you on dogsports.com this week? Yeah, we're, we're going to have a variety of interesting stuff. We just finished up a uh, preview of every UGA opponent uh, and every position group. Uh, on the Georgia uh, roster. Uh, you can find those uh, sprinkled throughout the site. Uh, we're going to have uh, coming up our uh, patented uh, blend of, of irreverent coverage uh, of the Vanderbilt game. You can all, already mm. see one of our uh, contributors uh, talking about the epiphany he had, the singular moment when he knew he really hated Vanderbilt. Um, How do you, you know, hate Vanderbilt? It's It's hard, but he managed um, mm. and, and it's pretty entertaining uh, on that. Uh, we're also going to talk about some keys to the game, as you would expect. Uh, also going to talk to our good friends from Anchor of Gold, the uh, SB Nation mm-hmm. uh, Vanderbilt site, uh, coming up with some keys to the game. Um, probably going to give you one of my keys. Hey, what's that? Uh, when uh, score ten points. I think it's going to take thirteen. Um, you think it might take thirteen? Yeah, I think okay. it's going to take thirteen. But yeah, other than that, not... do we even know who's playing quarterback for Vanderbilt this fall? Like, uh, is it? It's not Kyle we, Shermer's year 19 there. So no, who's yeah, actually going to do it? Yeah, it's it's sort of a funny thing. They have not named a starter yet. They've got a guy. I don't think so. Yeah, they've got uh, a guy, Riley Neal, who transferred in from Ball State. Um, and, uh, you know, I think he's probably the guy. But Derek Mason um, has not been able to uh, to put down his, his birdhouse building long enough to, to actually officially name him the starter. Um, you got to go Deuce Wallace, in my opinion. Yeah, you got to go Deuce. Yeah, they, they could go Deuce. I, I still think it's Neil, but, uh, you know, it, it's going to be one of those two. I mean, Deuce Wallace is just a badass name. Like, that's a badass quarterback college name, Deuce Wallace. It is. It is. The the thing on, on the Vanderbilt roster that I've, I'm most appreciative of is that they actually stuck an oar in there in the long snapper spot. Uh, if you if you look at the roster they just released, uh, there is an oar in the starting long snapper category, which is – that's just a boss move by Derek Mason um, to, to keep us guessing at long snapper. Um, that's going to keep I give you, you uh, Riley Neal's uh, major as of the Vanderbilt depth chart that got released. What is it? Learning, diversity, and health studies. Hmm. That's useful. a lot going on there. That's not. Yeah. That's that's a lot going on. A lot yeah. of different stuff. Yeah, I don't I don't fully understand what you study in that major, but it sounds useful. Right. I mean it. It sounds. Why don't you just call it general studies? I yeah, think like at that point you just need to rename that one. That's a little too much. A little all over the place there, folks. Yeah, it sounds generally more vocational than continental philosophy. Like, mm-hmm. I think I would be more likely to. I think I'd be more likely to believe that that's a, a, a like a like an actual program they have at Vanderbilt. Um, mm-hmm. Be I, careful I one, here, uh, Mr. Georgia fan. Be yeah, careful know, here. Yeah, at, uh, at one point. Don't let me get on the Caleb King rabbit hole with you. Yeah. On this podcast. Oh, no. Um, Construction management, I believe, was his uh, major when he was at UGA. Very, very useful major in a a Mm fast-growing city like Atlanta. Um, Correct. You know, people people largely by uh, by Auburn grads uh, driving pristine pickup trucks. um, Okay. In my my experience. (laughs) Okay. God, I I cannot wait until... uh, Bo Nix just ruined your season. It's going to be great. When he has a full Johnny Manziel moment, he just throws his helmet into the stands, all kinds of great stuff. I hope it's just 
it's the best thing. And Pooby Whitlow has his career moment. Like, no, it's gonna be great. Um, all right. Well, this has been great. Unfortunately, that you had to ruin it towards the end of this podcast. But either way, thank you so much for making the time, man. Yeah, man. A lot, a lot of fun. Looking forward to this year. <laughs> all right. Same here. All right, man. Yeah, take care. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you again to our presenting sponsor, Ponko Chicken. Um, thank you again to all of my awesome guests for coming on the pod. Um, and don't forget, if you like today's episode and you are an Apple Podcast listener, please leave us a five-star rating and a review. It helps. Um, you can also find us on Google Play, Spotify, Um, where you can access all of my previous episodes and read all my work so chase Thomas podcast slash page hyphen 11 um so go do that read all my stuff listen to the podcast um all that good stuff uh also follow me on twitter at chase double underscore thomas uh like the facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash chase thomas writer and uh also follow me on instagram at chase double underscore thomas all right thanks so much guys and i will have another episode for you very soon. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.